welcome to the Is That So podcast. My name is Sahela and I am the host and chief content officer here at the Is That So podcast. Follow along each week as I share stories, pose questions, and provide insights on various wellness, travel, and relationship topics aimed to help us all navigate through this rapidly evolving modern world a little bit easier. Here at the Is That So podcast, we believe that life should always be a work in progress. So come learn, laugh, and listen in on unfiltered stories and conversations so that we can open new doors to inspiration, happiness, and forward thinking together. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Is That So podcast. I'm equally thrilled and thankful to have you here with me today and just wanted to take a quick second to invite you to settle in and get comfortable. I know most of us are already acquainted on Instagram, but for all those who are new, my name is Sahela and I am a content creator and freelance travel writer from Toronto. I started my career as a blogger five years ago and much like this podcast, I had no idea what I was doing. If I had to sum myself up quickly, I would say that I am a self-taught photographer who loves her wine and is addicted to travel. I once upon a time had my own clothing line, and if you know me, you know that the rebirth of said line is only a matter of time. (laughs) Just watch. In November of 2019, I got it in my head that I should start a podcast, and besides creating the cover photo for it, this whole endeavor has been one whirlwind of a learning on my feet experience. I don't expect this podcast to start off perfect by any means. The only thing I am truly confident about is that I'll probably fumble multiple times, guaranteed. But hey, if life has taught me anything, it's that growth comes from learning and trying, and so here I am. Truthfully though, I think my whole life has kind of led up to this moment in a way. When I was 12, my mom got this karaoke microphone for me for Christmas, and it had this built-in cassette recorder, and I would sit by the family stereo in the living room and pretend I had my own radio show. I was literally playing my favorite Backstreet Boys CD and hosting my own hour-long show, and then listened back to my own radio show again later. I realize as I'm saying this aloud how truly narcissistic that may sound, but in the grand scheme of things, the signs were all there. Anyways, (laughs) before you get any crazy ideas though, know that my intention for this podcast is not to play into those childhood dreams of being a radio show host, although I can't promise I won't listen back to these episodes as a way of critiquing for improvement. No, my real intention for this podcast is to create a space where we can come together and find enlightenment through discussion and storytelling. So through this podcast, I'm hoping to help us all become better versions of ourselves, or at least help us find a common connection in our life or in our struggles and insecurities that we can use to create a bond. Speaking of connections, I am planning to share some intimate and honest stories about my life and personal experiences with you as well. I'm hoping by doing so, it would allow us to better get to know one another and allow me to peel back the onion, so to speak, with stories I have never shared before. I feel like there is more of a want now than ever to build real connections with other people, and I think this will be a great space for me to share about my mental health struggles and the challenges I have faced throughout my life that have made me who I am today and has led me here 
to sharing my truth via podcast with you. It definitely hasn't always been an easy path to walk, but it's a beautiful story. And I think in order to better get to know me beyond my pretty Instagram feed, we should maybe start there. This will obviously be a very vulnerable experience for me, and I know I'm totally opening myself up to judgment from strangers, but if you don't like me at my core or can't find a way to relate to me now, you probably won't ever. So let's begin. Growing up, my family was, and unfortunately still is at times, the epitome of drama and dysfunction. My father immigrated to Toronto from Iran back in the 70s and fell in love with my beautiful, blonde-haired and blue-eyed Quebecois mother who was just shy of 20. My mom had moved to Toronto and at the time didn't speak English, so it was my father who taught her. And still to this day, she speaks English with like a funny Iranian accent. It's very cute. Um, both of them grew up poor. Uh, my dad slept on a rug for most of his childhood and actually started working at the age of eight, while my mom came from a large family um, and often had to visit the food bank to get supplies because there wasn't enough food to go around for everyone. Together though, and starting from a small wholesale lab, they built an empire that would later turn into the largest Canadian optical retailer. Today, we have stores coast to coast, and it's been no small feat. By the time I was born, their fourth and last child together, they were so cash rich, my dad decided to build his dream boat, a 200 foot private yacht that we would vacation on all around the world. Prince Albert of Monaco was once on it, in fact. I mean, if you want a real crazy rags to riches story, my parents have a great one, but we have to save that for another episode. <laughs> so by the time I was born, my family was hitting its highest financial peak. And well, we all know what follows a peak, a valley. So I can imagine it must have been pretty nice to vacation on a giant yacht, but Unfortunately, my recollection of those times are very limited. Being a small child and all, and I don't really remember much. What I do remember though, was when I was five, I got really sick and was hospitalized at SickKids in Toronto for several months. At first, the doctors told my mom that they thought I had leukemia, but after further testing, they realized I had thrombocytopenia which is just a fancy word for a condition where your body doesn't produce enough white blood cells. My mom told me later that she knew something was wrong when my legs were riddled with welts and bruises. Anyways, the doctors told her I was at risk of internal bleeding, so I ended up having to stay at the hospital for a couple months while they pumped me full of steroids and made me blow up like Violet Beauregard and Willy Wonka. I remember being in my hospital bed watching cartoons and the nurse would come in to take a blood sample. This would happen several times a day and my fingers would get so sore from being pricked by needles all the time that I would have to scan them for the one that was the least sore for her to use. It definitely wasn't a pleasant time for anyone, but eventually I got better and was allowed to go home. <sighs> Sorry, my voice starts to crack. <laughs> So two years later, my family would find themselves again back in the hospital, this time because my beautiful older sister passed away. 
Immediately following Layla's death, my family broke into a thousand pieces. And, and you would have thought we got hit with an atomic bomb the way everything dismantled. My brother and I were six and seven at the time and weren't really fully comprehending what was going on. Following my sister's death, my parents went their separate ways and the dismantling of our family was hard on everyone involved. I didn't know it then, but I would later battle with anxiety and depression as a result of this chapter in my life and the aftermath to follow. My mom, not knowing what to do with me and my brother and in desperate need of healing herself, sent me and my brother to boarding school, hoping we would be better off there and able to find more stability. My other sister, Shala, had gone to Ridley and apparently loved it, so my mom thought it would work out just as well for me, but I hated it. I felt more isolated at boarding school than ever before, and since my brother went to a different school, I was completely alone. I desperately wanted to come home, and it took me two years and a ton of pleading for my mom to finally be convinced. By this time, we were getting ready to sell the house, and for the next year, I would only continue to feel extremely unsettled as we moved from one rental to another as our new apartment was being built. Before we sold the house, I had convinced my mom to let me go to the same Catholic high school as my friend on the street, and I thought this was going to be just the fresh start I needed. Little did I know, things were going to get worse before they got better. A month prior to starting school, my neighbor down the street had invited me to her cottage, but with that invitation came a condition to find and bring booze. By that time, I had already had a few nights of drinking in random parks in Toronto, as you do, with one of my older boarding school friends, so the request wasn't a big deal. But what I didn't take into account was how badly the repercussions of her master plan would affect me when we would let her get caught and I would get thrown under the bus. Within the first month of starting at my new school, I was completely ostracized after her mom told all of her classmates' moms that I was all bad influence. Yeah. <laughs> this still makes me shake my head in disbelief. Not because I'm not without blame, but because there was no mention of her daughter's part in the whole thing whatsoever. By this time, I had such a big chip on my shoulder with how difficult life was, I really started to close myself off. Combine this with all the regular teenage angst people experience in high school, I decided to give a big middle finger to the world and not even try to redeem the favor of people who pass judgment before even knowing me. Instead, I became friends with only two people who got to know me before judging me and became fiercely loyal to them. To this day, I still remain friends with both of them, and like the best kind of friendships, things always pick up where they left off, even if we don't see each other for a year or more. So high school was the same stupid drama and issues with self-confidence everyone experiences, so I'm just going to fast forward through this chapter and save everyone a lot of time. My mom and I had finally settled into another house after only living in our apartment for two years, and I had proven myself to be quite a self-sufficient and good student. 
After school, I worked in one of my family's stores so I could have some spending money. And although we were still well off, my parents never wanted to bankroll me. So besides paying for school and housing, I had to work for things that I wanted, or at least get good grades to prove I deserved it. Thankfully, I have always been a clean, organized, and self-motivated person, so there wasn't much I couldn't get on my own, and getting into a good university wasn't going to be a challenge for me. Figuring out what I wanted to study, on the other hand, was the real challenge, and I remember feeling so lost because I wasn't passionate about anything. The only thing I knew for sure was that I wanted to get far away from Toronto and this stupid social bubble I was experiencing and explore the world. I wanted to meet more open-minded people and start a new life, and I thought going to uni abroad would be the perfect answer to my problem. So on top of applying late to the University of Sydney in Australia, I ended up opting into a commerce program. My rationale at the time was that I had always been a great math student and it would probably make my parents happy, so it was a sure way to get them to agree to let me go. I was way more excited about the independence and the freedom than I was about going to school, but I was hopeful I could figure things out once I was there. Since all my friends were heading to university in the fall and the start of the school year for me wouldn't happen until the following year, I had some time to kill and ended up taking a few commerce courses at the University of Toronto in the meantime. During this time, most of my weekends were spent visiting at various universities, drinking and having fun. During one of those weekends though, while visiting friends, I was roofied by a guy I knew but wasn't really close with. At the time, I had a hard time piecing together what had happened, let alone processing what it meant or what I should do about it. I also struggled with admitting to myself that I had been raped because that would make me feel more vulnerable than I already was. And I was not, after all I had already been through, ready to feel less than or admit to myself that I felt broken. Instead, I buried the memory deep and told myself I wouldn't let sex mean anything. My logic at the time was that if sex didn't mean anything, what happened to me wouldn't mean anything. I also thought that if I became more of a sexually liberated person, then I would feel more empowered when it came to my body and sex, but we all know that's not exactly how things work. It honestly didn't even become clear to me until earlier this year, more than a decade later, how much the event of that night truly affected me and how it would continue to affect my relationships and self-worth over the next decade. At the time, all I could think about was leaving and my departure couldn't come any sooner. Okay. So at this point, I'm going to press pause on telling my story because I don't want you to think that I'm brushing over this fucked up event in my life. I honest to God want to talk about it more, but I just don't think now is the time. 
the statistics around this topic are actually quite shocking and I would love to bring on a professional who knows more about it and can provide guidance and sound advice versus me, someone who, if I'm being honest, didn't deal with it very well and in the quote unquote healthy way. So we're gonna come back to this, just not today. Okay, let's continue. So I wish I could tell you that things got easier once I was in Australia, but besides being able to make some solid friends early, they really didn't. Don't get me wrong, I loved the experience and would tell anyone who had the opportunity to go to school abroad that they should definitely do it. I think it's a better way to help you open doors to self-discovery as a young adult than staying at home with the same people and comforts. I learned so much about myself during this time, what kind of a person I wanted to be, what type of people I wanted to surround myself with, and what kind of life I wanted to live. I always knew that I was destined for something special beyond a nine to five day job. And although I hadn't figured out just what that was, it felt good. And I felt good about the path that I was on. I started off the semester strong, attending all my classes and working hard on getting good grades. I met some really fun people who came from all over the world and became inseparable with two girls whom for the sake of this story and for the sake of their privacy, I'm going to call Sally and Sarah. Anyways, the three of us were thick as thieves and we would do everything together. Sarah was an exceptionally smart girl too. She had also gone through a lot of struggles in her teenage years, but was able to pull herself together and ended up getting accepted into McGill University for neuroscience, which if you are not from Canada, is like an Ivy League university. So it's pretty remarkable. Now in Australia, she was doing a year abroad and was so excited for the future. Okay. So this part of the story is going to get really heavy again and is really hard for me to tell because not only was I filled with guilt about not being there, but it was an out of body experience to what I was internally battling with. Okay, so uh, midterms were coming up and I was feeling so stressed out. Sarah had called me and asked me to go out to a bar with her to blow off some steam, and I just didn't feel prepared for an upcoming economics test, so I told her I couldn't go. Sally was working that night, so Sarah ended up going out with a few people from our student village, but didn't have anyone really keeping tabs on her. In the morning, I got a call from Sarah crying hysterically. She had just gotten home and through sobs, she had told me she had been roofied and woke up in a stranger's apartment. <laughs> I rushed over to her dorm room and put all of her clothes from the night before in a plastic bag before taking her to the hospital to do a medical exam and a rape kit. I remember waiting outside the examination room, shaking and riddled guilt as I could hear her moaning from discomfort in the other room. The rest of the day was spent at the police station where she bravely told her story and gave a statement. Looking back, going through that whole process, I was there more for her than I was for myself when the same thing happened to me, but I was also unable to be strong for her. 
the whole ordeal was a mirrored experience to what I was trying to run away from. And it forced me to retreat from everything. I stopped going out. I stopped going to class. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't study. I just felt so guilty I wasn't there for her. And besides that first day of the incident, I couldn't continue to be there for her. And it was so hard to pull away, but I was suffering so much and wasn't telling anyone about my experience. So things just got heavier and heavier. After two months of not being able to perform in school and countless counseling sessions from a school therapist, I decided to defer and come home. I didn't feel safe being by myself. I was having a lot of negative thoughts and would practically have a mental breakdown every time I would drink and would bulldoze past my limit till I was annihilated. I was not in a good place. So I deferred my schooling and came back to Canada. Once back in Toronto, I took a couple more business courses at U of T, but at this point I was feeling pretty emotionally fragile. I did well in my U of T accounting classes. I don't know why I'm fucking crying at this. <laughs> and was finally back in a routine, which helped. But I was done bullshitting with myself and my family about what I wanted to do with my life. I wasn't into commerce. I could feel it in my gut. And I was just so over playing a role for someone else. I decided to give up the charade. I had always been a creative person and I loved clothes, fashion, and all things crafty. So I signed up for the fashion school at George Brown. I loved how hands-on and technical their program was and I really excelled in all my classes. For the first time, I was loving school, would stay late and go above and beyond on all my projects. Every semester I would be on the Dean's List and I knew this was a more fitting of a path for me. After the first year of school, I decided to go to Milan to a famous fashion school named Marangoni to study over my summer break just so I didn't have to stop. It was incredible. I was finally feeling really good about things, especially when I landed an internship with Greta Constantine at the end of the program. I was so in love with all facets of fashion and I was so excited to learn and be part of this growing, amazing brand. Things weren't just good for me, they were great. After my time at Greta was over, I knew I wanted to start my own fashion brand. At the time, I was so broke ass though. I needed to get a job and so I hit my dad up once again. Jobs in the fashion industry are few and far in between and they definitely don't pay well. So I knew if I worked for my dad, I could in a little over a year, save up a small nest egg before getting back to it. And that's just what I did. A year and a half later, I signed a lease with a girlfriend for a studio space and would spend all my time creating patterns and sewing. I was in heaven. <laughs> My first line ever was a swimsuit line and I had my first little fashion preview at a community event, which was great. It was small and perhaps not the biggest deal in the spectrum of Toronto's fashion industry at the time, but it was mine and I was thankful that things were coming together. 
After my first swimsuit preview, I decided to start working on producing a full collection and I became so micro-focused on this project that I would save every single dollar I could to buy another roll of fabric or supplies I needed. I had to find a new place to work, which forced me into delaying my progress and put my work to a halt. Anxious, I started to spend even more time alone trying to catch up on my deadlines, which meant more sacrifice and eventually my mental health started to fall apart at the seams. Around this time and completely unexpectedly, I also met my now boyfriend, Adam. We started dating and I really liked him. <laughs> but had worked so hard on this line that I knew I needed to devote a lot of attention to finishing it. Honestly, I think one of the reasons why he was so attracted to me was because I couldn't hang out as much as I maybe wanted to. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> I do remember at the beginning of our relationship though that he did really come through for me. It was a Sunday and he had slept over at mine the previous night and had gotten up early to go play golf with his friends. I, being unable to sit still at home, went into my studio space only to walk in to find the place completely trashed. I had been robbed. I was devastated and freaking hysterical. I called the police and then Adam, who came rushing over to console me, like left his friends on the ninth hole and drove an hour back downtown. It was a knight in shining armor gesture that really solidified my feelings for him. <laughs> I don't know why I'm crying for this, but of course, the police didn't show up for like over an hour and didn't do anything about the situation. So I was left to pull myself together and regroup once again. My pop-up show was like a month away and I needed to have everything ready for production so I could actually sell stuff and start making some money. I was already feeling worn out at this point mentally and financially, and I could not afford to screw this up. I was so determined to do this that I continued to overextend myself physically, and I threw myself into my own mental hell. A week leading up to my pop-up, the factory I had chosen to do production was behind schedule, and I spent the entire week there cutting fabric to make sure that all of my garments would be done in time for my event. My mom decorated my studio space where the event was being held for me, but I remember getting so sick three days out, plus I wasn't sleeping, plus I got this weird rash between my nose and my lip from blowing my nose so much that these production setbacks were just one more thing to add to my list of stress. My mom and sister had spent the entire day decorating the space while my brother had built this incredible change room structure with curtains all out of plywood. The space looked incredible and I should have been over the moon. Things had finally come together in a beautiful presentation, but I wasn't. Instead, I was so overextended. All I wanted to do after was go home and cry. The best way I can describe the feeling is when you are being forced to run up a big hill and you use all your physical energy until there's none. So then you tap into your willpower until you start to slow down. And so you reach into your pain and your anger to get you the rest of the way. Finally, you hit the top and instead of rejoicing for what you have overcome, the pain, the anger, and the frustration you're using to get the rest of the way up has no place to go but out. My entire world became dark. It was a very sad realization for me. 
it was like being in an unhealthy relationship. The thing I had loved the most started to fill me with anxiety and I couldn't continue to concentrate on work. I had made some money from the pop-up, but I had lost my passion and I knew I had to step away from my dream of becoming a fashion designer. Instead, I had to find something that would bring me some inner peace and financial stability. I needed to treat myself better, and I couldn't do that if I continued to isolate myself. So back I went to work for my dad. Over the next year, I would be groomed to become the buyer at Hecky Moptical and worked closely with my father. I went to trade shows and saw the other side of the fashion industry. So instead of being on the designing side of the table, I was now sitting across the table buying styles and tracking sales and inventory. It was still relevant to what I had learned in school and I made good money doing it, but after two years in that job and more autonomy in my role, I started to feel something in my gut telling me that I couldn't do this forever. By this time I had saved up another large nest egg and Adam and I were living together, which made finances a little bit easier. And I was able to buy myself like expensive handbags, travel and afford nice things. But deep down, the money wasn't making me happy. I had no creative outlet and I could feel my time in this chapter of my life coming to an end too. Eventually I gave my two week notice and decided to start my own blog. So now I would not recommend doing this, especially when you are just starting out. If I could go back, I would do things different, but at the time I was frustrated and eager to move on, so I quit. Of course, I'm still blogging today, and so things worked out for me, but if I look back at my first year, I really was spending most of it developing and growing my platform while also working on my branding. I think I wasted a lot of time learning on my feet when I should have sat down and strategized better. Obviously, photography is a huge component to being a content creator, so developing those skills and investing in a good camera doesn't really happen overnight, which is why buying your time and keeping a job, even if it's just for the income, is a better choice. There were a lot of growing pains I had to work through and stuff I had to teach myself, which someone else who has an income could easily pay others to do. You know, like developing a website, designing and copywriting a logo, or developing a Pinterest strategy. But I seem to enjoy choosing the hard roads, so <laughs> here we are. Blogging for me has been an amazing creative outlet and has given me the satisfaction I needed to start to feel fulfilled once again. Of course, there have been challenges and bumps in the road, but I've become a better writer, a better communicator, and am more in tune with myself. Also, things have changed in the social media landscape as well in the last couple of years, which have made me also reflect internally and ask myself some hard questions about who I am. At first, when I started blogging, I wanted to appease everyone, but eventually I started to get weary of my own charade. My inner dialogue became so negative in my second and third year that it started to eat me up inside. It has really only been in the last year that I have fully become able to be my most authentic self online and offline. And I don't think that's an uncommon struggle for people regardless of having a digitally focused career or not. Finding and understanding who you are as a person is hard and it takes a lot of self-reflection, healing and growth. 
Over the past year, I have made my way out of my own dark tunnel, changed the way I talk to myself, faced past traumas so I could start the healing process, gave myself the grace to feel and grow, and finally found acceptance for all the imperfections that make me who I am. My only dream now is to help you find that place of peace too. So once again, my name is Sahela, and I welcome you to the Is That So podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Is That So podcast. For more information on this episode and all past episodes, you can check out my show notes on isthatso.com or follow me on Instagram at isthatso. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your personal support to the podcast, simply leave a review on iTunes or screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your stories. All right, friends, that's it. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Is That So podcast. And I look forward to hanging out with you again soon.